0: Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, a film and TV critic for the AV Club.
1: And I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker, educator, and wrestling fan.
0: Over the course of this podcast, Ned and I are going to take turns picking an actor that we are particularly obsessed with and then selecting five films that capture who they are and why we love them. So, Ned, we're about a year late into this starting a podcast and quarantine trend,
1: Yeah. but oof. we felt
0: like we had to do it. We were tossing around ideas, and I feel like we pretty quickly landed on actors as a topic that we wanted to cover. I feel like...
1: Yeah, we had a few duds of ideas, a few, but that yeah. was the good one.
0: <laughs> we had a few to get through. I feel like for as discussed and well-known as actors are, there's also an element about them that feels mysterious to a lot of people. Sure. And I'm into that mystery, and I'm also into unpacking that mystery. You and I, we are just, just to throw it out there so people know, we're both theater kids, former mm-hmm. slash current theater kids. We met in theater school. We both have experience with acting. And I feel like we thought that looking at film through the prism of actors might make for some interesting conversations.
1: Yeah, and that's, I think it's definitely one of the ways, that's sort of one of our go-to lenses when we discuss movies, which we, which we do often. Um, you know, as you say, I, I used to be, I still am an actor. That's an identity crisis thing. I don't. I don't have an acting career. I'm. I'm dating someone who does. But. But I enjoy acting. I've done a lot of that. And now you I'm grew I'm, up
0: acting, and you studied I, at school.
1: I did. I did. I showed up at school as an actor. You were already kind of a director. Then, yeah.
0: I similar to you have an identity crisis of my <laughs> theater kid origins, but I. In high school, I was very into directing, so I felt like my perspective on acting has always been I love working with actors. It was my favorite part of directing. I knew I didn't want to be an actor, but I sort of liked studying the craft of acting in order to be a better director. A skill that I then immediately dropped to go into film and TV criticism. But I want to revive it a little bit here. So, yeah, I think that my interest in acting... And my study of acting was from this perspective of trying to help actors be better. And that's sort of, I don't know, an interesting lens to bring to the film criticism side of things. I Yeah.
1: Think. And I've started working in film, started in theater, have have moved over towards film more now. And I definitely think that my writing and directing are grounded in characters and actors. And it's also kind of my primary lens for watching film, which I don't do professionally like you do, but I still do quite often. So. That'll be a fun way for us to dive into the great wide world of film.
0: So the way this podcast is going to work is that Ned and I are going to take turns curating a sort of like five film mini series starring an actor that we love, um, and we are going to kick things off. This is our very first episode with my pick, which is Mr. Christian Bale. He's a Welsh-born English actor, and he's had a very long and varied career. Dating all the way back to when he was just a kid, which I feel like people forget about sometimes, that he was a child actor. But not us. Um, No, not us. We never forget anything about Christian. Um, He's played Batman, of course. He's won an Oscar. He has, along the way, gained a reputation as a pretty intense method actor. And I would say, most importantly, to to me personally, he starred in a generation-defining movie musical about turn-of-the-century newsboys going on strike. Um, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point. So uh, in a minute, I'm going to get into why I decided to pick Christian as my first actor for this podcast. But Ned, I'm curious about your relationship to Christian Bale. Do you have strong opinions about him? Do you remember when you first, like, encountered him as an actor?
1: Huh. That's a good question. I I probably first encountered him as a Batman. Um, mm-hmm.
0: As probably a lot of people did.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's see, that, that must have come out when I was 15. I liked comic books uh i might have had the the vaguest impression of him being in some other things but um yeah that that's got to be uh thing number 1 and then you know he he had those and he had a, a a couple other sort of big blockbustery ones and i started to see some of his more intense stuff i obviously saw the heard the 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 viral rant video of mm-hmm. his which we can touch on at some point but um but yeah i uh i think that was probably it goes back to being in high school and seeing him as a Batman first and, mm-hmm. uh, and a method actor second.
0: Do you feel like you have like these days, does he conjure up strong or you're like, I got to see the next Christian Bale film or is he just kind of
1: like out there for you? Uh, No, I, I think that I think of him as, I mean, because of um, a, he's done a number of performances, which we'll get into, which, uh, which I think have really cemented his, his position in my mind as one of our like, great powerhouses of acting so Mm -hmm. i'd say i get excited when he's going to be in a movie i haven't seen them all i haven't seen the yeah a new world or uh the one where he's got a big mustache and it's the old west Um, yeah but hostels although there's
0: a couple that sort of fit that description
1: sure (laughs) okay so there's maybe i haven't uh i haven't tried to track down every one of his movies but if it's a if it's a property that interests me at all um i get excited to see his name attached to something i think yeah I think he, he tends to turn in intense, interesting work.
0: Well, this is a good segue because I am a person who in high school at one point just printed out a complete list of, you know, to, up till then, all of Christian's performances and sort of made it a goal to try to go through and see them all. So his earlier stuff, I'm like pretty connected to. I I can't say I fully, you know, kept up with it after that high school obsession, but So, obviously, I have a lot of, like, personal history with Christian Bale. He was – I was trying to think of, like, why I feel so connected to him. I think when I was sort of in middle school and high school, I have a very, like, obsessive pop culture personality. But as in especially in middle school, I would just get very obsessed with something and, like, consume a lot of it. You know, like, going to see Lord of the Rings, like, six times or Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever. And I think I had, you know, as I'm sure most, like – young teens do, like celebrity crushes, but I think I also had talent crushes, Mm -hmm. and Christian and actually Heath Ledger, they were the two people that were really, like, in that overlapping circle of, like, Uh I have a crush on them as a person, but I also am, like, legitimately very into their career in a way that, like, you know, Pirates era Orlando Bloom, I had a crush on, but I was not like, I need to seek out, you know, (laughs) the artistic work of Orlando Bloom.
1: No. (laughs) Not so, quite the same,
0: no. And although that is why I saw Troy, so I can't say that I <laughs> didn't f- at least try that a little bit. Oh, um, but yeah, so that was like I think the cornerstone of the the Christian sort of obsession for me. Yeah, and I still feel a lot of affection for him. Like I will, you know, I I don't I don't still have that list and like seek everyone out, but I do like you know try to keep up with him and and check out his films. And I think. Maybe sort of one of the ideas behind this podcast, too, is I think for me, like my inroad to filmmaking and cinema is actors, much more so than like directors or writers. And I think what was so cool, I think what is cool about Christian is he makes interesting choices in his career and he works with really interesting people. And so me as like, you know, a little burgeoning film fan high schooler, it was like following his career was like, okay, that then I learned like what a Terrence Malick film is like, because he's in a couple of those. And I learned Mm. what a Werner Herzog film is like, and obviously Christopher Nolan. And it was like, oh, this is such an interesting way to like get a broader look at cinema. Um, Just through picking an actor I like who makes interesting choices and sort of following them through. So I think part of the idea of this podcast is sort of like to, I don't know, to look at the choices that actors... Make in their career and and I think you and I are both hoping to cover like a wide variety of actors who have very different types of projects. But I think for me, obviously Christian was exciting because of my personal history. But also, I think he really has had such a diverse career over the years.
1: Yeah, I think he's a good one to start this whole project out with. I mean, we talked about some other people. I just if I can if I can if I can part the curtain a little bit. Like we're also I think both pretty big Chris Evans fans, Mm -hmm. but. The shades of uh, the shades of different performances from Chris Evans are they're a little subtler. Yeah, a little, <laughs> there's a little bit more. Uh, it's a, uh, he's
0: working within a smaller range. He's
1: working within a smaller range. Yeah, and we think he does really exceptional work in that range. But but I think with some of the movies we have picked out that you you have uh, selected as our our Christian Bale viewing party, which we won't spoil just yet, um, I think showcases. Uh, some uh, uh, a fun variety of types of film. So I'm really I hope so.
0: And we won't spoil our future choices, but we will spoil today's choice, which I'm sure has already been spoiled by the title of this podcast. But um, we're actually going to wait to get into sort of Christian's early career until our next episode. This week, I wanted to kick things off with what I would say is sort of his breakthrough debut as an American leading man. This is when, you know, he had been sort of known as like the pretty boy supporting role Um, maybe heading into the sort of teen idol uh, territory. And I feel like this is sort of a different sort of mainstream intro to him. Uh, And this is Mary Heron's, Yeah, really. Um, What a shift from Newsies to American Psycho. Mary Heron's 2000 dark comedy thriller in which Christian plays Patrick Bateman. Funny that then he went on to play Batman. Um, So he plays Patrick Bateman, a 1980s New York investment banker who moonlights as a serial killer and almost literally can't get arrested even when he tries to. Um, This movie is based on Brett Easton Ellis' 1991 novel of the same name. And this movie was pretty polarizing when it was in production and then when it debuted at Sundance. The novel, even more so than the movie, is famously very violent. And I think... I have not read the novel, but my understanding is there's debate about how much the novel is sort of critiquing or satirizing... It's content versus sort of glorifying it. So there were concerns that uh, would the movie be the same thing. But I think when the movie actually came out, it went on to be a pretty solid, critical hit, made some money, you know, was a relative financial success. Um, and these days, I think, if anything, it's just grown to be more beloved and well-respected. I know that the A.V. Club named it the fifth best film of 2000 when uh-huh. they put we put together that list cool. last year. Personally, I put it as my second favorite film of the year. I really like this movie. Um, but, Ned, do you remember when you first saw this movie, what you thought of it then? What do you think of it now?
1: Uh, let's. So I think that I saw this movie in high school on the recommendation of my family friend it was a a a woman named franny who was a who's directing me who was kind of like a cool older like college age person directing when i was a high schooler and um she was like oh this movie american psycho is so funny um and i watched it i think expecting a lot of like haha funny Mm -hmm. so i didn't i didn't quite know what to do with it when I first saw it and watching it now, I still, I sympathize with those who don't know what to do with it. It is yeah. a very weird movie. Um, it, it is, I think, one of the like great uncategorizable films and definitely not to, you know, I, I think my take on the performance now is that it's one of the, one of the monumental weird performances, weird mm-hmm. leading man performances Of the 20th century. um, Yeah. Or I guess of the 20, I guess it was the year 2000. Um, But I think at the time, I don't know. I liked, I was sort of like tickled by the intense grotesquerie of him running around naked with the chainsaw. Uh, I don't think I was ready for, to digest some of the like particular eighties yuppie culture critiques, um, which now tickle me immensely. Um and I just think I think it's a it's a, an interesting movie to process the first time and and also the the sort of like intense dread of it hits you when you're watching it. Although maybe I I matured into being able to understand some of the real intense horror of it in a way that was a little abstract as a as a you know 15-year-old watching it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I definitely didn't initially know what to do with it and then subsequent watches have i just feel like it's a movie that yields layers to its satire and its i'd say bold creativity Mm -hmm. um and uh and the, the the performance of christian bale gets weirder and funnier and more sort of uncannily I don't know, sharp and incisive every time I every time I see it.
0: Yeah, I loved this movie. I also saw it in high school for the first time. When I was taking I've, – I've really only ever taken one, like, formal film class. And it was, like, a high school, you know, one semester class. But that was – I really went all in. And I, I distinctly remember, like, watching this movie and then talking to my film – You know, my high school film teacher about it and being Mm -hmm. like, oh, I just thought it was so funny and satirical and I'm understanding it on all these levels. And I think like every I do. The thing that sticks out to me about this movie is the humor. Like, I really find this to be a laugh out loud, funny movie. But the thing I always forget is that it also is deeply upsetting. (laughs) Like, I sort of remember the humor more. And then I get there's especially there's the scene where Patrick like kills a homeless person that I always forget how upsetting that scene is, you know? Like, I really, I remember the business card scene. I remember Dorsey. I remember I have to return some videotapes. And then every time I put this on, I'm like, oh, God, there is an element of this that it's not just a dark comedy. Like, it is operating at more levels than that.
1: It is a, it's a, it is a black dark comedy. It is, yeah. it is pitch dark, if that's the the genre we would put it in. I mean, it's. Because it fully operates – I mean, I also think I expected it to be a horror movie where you are like watching people – you follow the perspective of people trying to elude a monster. And instead it's like – it's horrifying, but it's all from the perspective of the monster. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
0: And then there is – and you mentioned this before, but this sort of like – you know, obviously, very satirical commentary, I think, specifically on the 80s. Although, maybe what I like about it the most is that you can extrapolate that to almost just like masculinity in general. But, oh, yeah. one thing that's interesting to me so, so, um, Brett Easton Ellis's novel came out in, in 91. So, he was sort of writing like, I mean, about the decade that we had, they had lived through, and essentially, you know, I'm sure it felt like you were still in the same decade at that point. Whereas, by the time Mary Heron makes this film, Um, You know, there's been more distance. So I think from 2000, you can sort of look back at the 80s as sort of this weird, you know, decade that it was with maybe a bit more distance, which is maybe why she approaches the material slightly differently. I know I was reading some interviews and I know that she, when she read the book, um, she also, so she, in addition to directing, Mary Heron co-wrote this with her regular collaborator, uh, Genevieve Turner, who is briefly in the movie as... Oh. The character's name is Elizabeth. She's the one that, oh. she's like Patrick's friend that he winds up killing in the second like, threesome scene. Like biting.
1: And <laughs> yes. that's the scene where he then comes out with a chainsaw. She yeah. co-wrote the movie? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And
0: she sort of regularly worked with Mary Heron. This is Mary Heron's second film. Um, she made a movie called I Shot Andy Warhol in 1996. Um, and so, yeah, so they... In adapting the material, they said that they felt the satire was in the book, although the book is sort of much more, I think, like, very, very graphic in its description of everything. Mm-hmm. And so they decided in their adaptation to sort of tone down the violence and up the satire of it, mm-hmm. while, of course, keeping elements of the, the creepiness and the violence as well. But I think that there is – you really get the perspective that the movie is, like – outside itself commenting on itself and i think this is sort of what i like so much about christian's performance too but like even though as you said like patrick is our point of view character and we are sort of ostensibly you know following the monster or the serial killer or whatever Mm -hmm. it's not then sympathetic to him or empathetic to him like it is also removed from him and we are i think in many ways supposed to laugh at him and that like I think that's why I get into why I just find this film so funny, like, the satirical edge of just, like, entirely critiquing, like, how ridiculous this world is, this, like, 80s Wall Street, like, all we don't even work, all we do is, like, compare our business cards every day, like, I don't know, I just find all of that stuff to be so so funny
1: yeah the intense vapidity and and shallowness of their entire world and this runner of people keep mistakenly thinking they've had dinner with somebody else because Mm -hmm. they're all interchangeable to each other that that really struck me this time through and i think there's something really you know there is this sort of meta layer the, the, the sort of, like, meta outside itself commentary that you're talking about with the movie is also going on in the performance where he's doing this, like, uncanny but clumsy alien imitation of a human. When he, like, the scene where he rattles off, like, we need to end apartheid and it's fight terrorism and reduce materialism in young people. It's, like, it's 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 so, I don't know, it's like watching, like, a fish do like a a remarkable yeah. impression of a human being, and yeah, there's just all these like this these layers of masks and these clunky like it's like he's wearing a skin suit, oh, so
0: can I tell you you might already know this, but this performance. Christian was sort of like not a hundred percent sure how to lock into this performance, mm-hmm. and the thing that locked him in was seeing Tom Cruise on a talk show. Oh, he said dear. that he locked into quote the very intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes, <laughs> and I feel like that o- knowing that fact only adds to my enjoyment of watching this film because it is you. I see that influence very strongly, and it is a fascinating <laughs> element wow. to know
1: that. I did not know that tidbit. That's wild. I I can see very intense friendliness. Yeah, I can I can totally see where that's pulling from, and this sort of like erratic, off putting, uh, inconsistency from one moment to the other, where you just don't know what what mode he's gonna be in, um, and it can just like turn violently on a dime,
0: or be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So. This film had a pretty long production history and sort of a lot of people were attached at different points. At one point, it was going to be a David Cronenberg film with maybe Johnny Depp involved. Hmm. Um, Then they sort of pass on that. It goes to Mary Heron, who immediately she's like, Bale is my guy. Like, she's really set on it being Bale. Um, But the studio was worried that he was not famous enough. And so Mm -hmm. they were pushing for either Edward Norton or ultimately who really gets pushed for it is um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. And Mary Heron is very against that idea. I think she thinks DiCaprio is like not quite the right vibe. And I think she's also concerned that he's so well known by this point, obviously, as like the huge heartthrob and Titanic superstar that he's just like bringing baggage to this role that maybe would not be helpful because you are I think that would it would make you naturally more empathetic to Patrick. I think if it's like this you know this like lovable star that we love. So she um, leaves the project for a little bit because she doesn't want to do it with DiCaprio. Oh. They bring on Oliver Stone and and for a while it's like he and DiCaprio are gonna do it um, which I think at some point <laughs> uh, Mary Heron was like that's the like what they're putting together, I feel like is not the right approach to this material um so so it goes it goes around for a while then ultimately it circles back to heron and bale um i think that there's a story that they offered it to ewan mcgregor and and uh christian bale who had worked with him on velvet gold mine was like turn that down i want to do that movie (laughs) um but this really was like i think it was the thing where christian and mary heron they both really wanted this to happen and they were sort of like willing to put off other projects sort of on the hope that it would happen Mm -hmm. um which obviously it did and so they ended up circling back to them. The budget is, like, super reduced than it would have been if this was, like, a big Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle. He goes off to make The Beach, which is sort of a mess of a movie. <laughs> um So, yeah. So then it circles back to Mary Heron and Christian Bale. And I think it's just, like, kudos to her for realizing he could do this. Because I think and, – and, again, we'll get more into his early career um next episode. But I just feel like this was not – what he had been doing in his career up until that point. Again, he is British. Like Just to think of him for this role and to see his ability to play this so well, Like it's just such sharp... There's that phrase where it's like casting is like, I don't know, 70% of directing or something. And I feel like this is completely an example where that is true.
1: We're so lucky that we ended up with her and him on this movie. Yeah. Because it just could have been... I can see this movie becoming... With just the slight it, it walks this knife edge of being completely odious. And I can, if somebody found this movie even as it is, completely odious and unwatchable, I probably wouldn't hold it against them. Same, because um, the violence is very difficult to watch. But, um, but yeah, that's. I, I remember the other day because because Mary Heron is not really such a household name, not in the way no. you know Oliver Stone is. And when you mentioned her the other day. And it had, you know, I rewatched this last night. But prior to that, it had been a number of years since I saw it. And I said, oh, I forgot it was directed by women. And you said, that's why it's so good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think I think that's absolutely all the money. And, and the fact that she, so I, maybe I should pull up his IMDb. I don't know what Christian Bale, I mean, I know some of the titles he'd done before this. But was there something where we had seen this kind of like deep, frantic intensity from him maybe not you know what
0: i am i have not maybe i could find this if i did more research but i've always wondered like why mary Heron was so set on it being him like what she had seen
1: yeah i don't cuz not what didn't did she know seem, that we didn't know right what did
0: she know it didn't even seem like they said that they did a lot of their sort of like collaboration on what the character was going to be like over the phone cuz he was in LA and she was in New York so i'm not quite sure on like how she got so adamant that was him but Hmm. i'm glad she did (laughs) because i feel like they're there and this is what i like both about the movie and about the performance and especially the performance it's like patrick is patrick bateman is so i call him patrick like oh my dear friend patrick bateman
1: you also call him Um, christian which i noticed yeah i feel very chummy with him i was
0: really trying to figure out how do we refer to these actors we're covering
1: I, I don't want to be
0: too personal, but... You can't
1: walk it back from... We called him Christian all the way through the okay. intro. I don't think I mean, do we could walk him it do I
0: call him Bale? Like, when that feels...
1: Very academic.
0: Yeah, although there was some... I watched some interview where he was joking about doing Vice, where he plays Dick Cheney, and he was like, Oh, yeah, Adam McKay, like, wanted somebody that was entirely charmless and soulless. So he thought, Oh, it'll be Bale, isn't it?
1: Oh, so, <laughs> so he maybe calls he refers to bail. himself,
0: yeah, as Bale. All right, well... Um, but yeah, I think about the the performance and the movie, They they get that Patrick Bateman and everybody in his world, but him in particular, they're just supremely uncool. Mm. Like, even though they think of themselves as the epitome of, like, high society elite, so cool, they can get all these fancy reservations or whatever. They are just so socially awkward and uncomfortable, and I think it's, like, Mary Heron's ability to recognize that and then Christian Bale's ability to just like look like a freaking nerd for this entire movie that is a big part of what makes it so compelling to watch.
1: Yeah, a a nerd, but with this incredibly studied sort of, I don't know, uh, late 20th century leading man smarm about him. It's like it's it, it feels like the preceding like 50 years of um sort of like high-class drawing room gentlemen leading men are kind of baked into his mannerisms, but yeah. but in a way that always feels studied, but not organic. You yes. know, that, that the, the way in which, particularly when he goes on his monologues of like, uh, you know, uh, did you know that Whitney Houston's first <laughs> album, Simply Called Whitney Houston, had four number one singles? When he goes on these these monologues, the mannerism are so, uh, like, this grotesque caricature of, I don't have a specific reference, but, like, your, your tuxedo-wearing leading man of the, of of old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, But almost just-
0: like he's imitating that and not doing it well. Exactly, yeah. Like, he yeah. has a vision of, like, oh, this is, like, how Cary Grant is or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in actuality he just comes across so awkward and weird and clearly no one like actually enjoys being around him or his friends.
1: Yes. Yeah, when he first when he first brings in uh uh Christy and Sabrina, as he calls them, the you know, the two separate call girls yeah. and, and is I as discussing I forget what album then. Maybe uh Phil Collins. Um and the like the the looks that you see that go between them every time they're mm-hmm. like, "What the fuck is going on with this guy?" You get, well, and it, you get that perspective on on how uh, ineffective and unnatural his act is.
0: Completely, and I think that's completely to the credit of Mary Herron. Again, I feel bad; like keep talking about this book I haven't read. Just like that <laughs> the facts I've read summaries of, but my understanding is that the book is more maybe glamorizing isn't the right word, but it describes these things in details. I think it makes the sex scenes feel very sexy. It makes the violence feel very graphic. And I think what's, like, key to this movie is that, yeah, none of the sex scenes are sexy. They're funny, and they're sometimes deeply upsetting, but they're not... It feels... It's like, clearly these women are not comfortable. Like, they... They're doing their jobs, but they're not like, oh, this is a guy that we're vibing with. Like, clearly they no. think he's a weirdo as much as he thinks he's showing off so well. And then yeah. the, half the sex scenes are just him watching himself in the mirror. Yes. Um. And it's just, yeah, the the, the movie, again, it always has that distance from what's happening. Because there is a world in which, you know, we're totally in, in Patrick Bateman's mindset. And, and, ooh, we're like, this is a very erotic scene or this is very charged. Like, I think about Game of Thrones. Like, I feel like Game of Thrones, they, like, could never get away from making things erotic or glamorizing things or going so over the top. There was never mm-hmm. that sense of distance. And American Psycho is like the entire opposite direction where there's always that remove. Yeah.
1: Speaking of Leo, I also think Wolf of Wall Street, which is kind of yeah. the other big like Wall Street. I, I genuinely believe that Martin Scorsese set out to satirize and criticize Wall Street culture. But I don't think that you have as successful a takedown. I, I think it, it falls a lot more over toward the end of the spectrum where if you are not already inclined to criticize these aspects, then you're going to see that movie as a, as a celebration and be like, oh my god, these guys look like they're having so much fun, doing so much coke, having like, sex with so many prostitutes. It looks It looks freaking rad. And even if Scorsese has the distance on that, I'm not sure that his movie – uh draws its line in the sand clearly enough. And American Psycho more clearly does.
0: I literally wrote in my notes that I'm now holding up to the camera for you. This movie is what Wolf of Wall Street wants to be. <laughs> oh
1: you are indeed okay. That, so we are completely
0: in sync on that one. No, I completely agree that Wolf of Wall Street, a movie that honestly I know has its defenders. And as you say, it's defenders that say Scorsese is like commenting and all this stuff i only see that movie as glorifying it to be honest i don't think it has that distance at all that american psycho has and i think this is just a much more successful riff on that idea um i mean maybe wolf of wall street is proof that that leo actually could have played this role fine because i do think that's a great performance from him but for sure but um but yeah, no, completely. I think that this has that distance and it also has I think that what what helps it is that the premise is so heightened. Like the the idea, I feel like the joke of this movie is that like the average entitled Wall Street bro is literally indistinguishable from a serial killer is like inherently a funny joke and premise around which to build a movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and uh and and I think it it does raise an interesting question where you have you get bateman's perspective but you don't you don't know like i don't i feel like it 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 kind of has the it kind of raises the creepy idea of like this world cleans up after bateman so well that you have no idea how many times over this could be happening um the scene where he goes in towards the very end one of my my favorite scenes where he goes into uh paul allen's apartment to clean up like the mess of bloody dismembered bodies that he's left there and finds the whole place whitewashed and and it i think the scene functions really well as you you wonder this could be evidence that he's been hallucinating the whole time but it also completely functions in a way that makes that more fun which is you know they just want to flip the house the cleaners mm-hmm. were paid enough money to come in and dispose of everything and whitewash everything and the realtor has no interest in getting to the bottom of it. Um yeah. and it just is like, so how many the apartment is returned to pristine and you just with all these creepy shots of these like faceless tall wall street buildings, you're like, how many of these rooms have been have had the bodies cleaned out of them before? Yeah.
0: Um, and I think again it's like it is Slightly, but maybe not that much. Heightening, I think, a thing that we all know exists, right? Like you can be a rich white guy who does a, a lot of very bad things, and a lot of people will very happily cover them up for you. Yeah. And I think um, you know, making it a a serial killer is a slight heightening, but like not that much of a heightening, maybe.
1: We know that uh, we recognize the seed of truth.
0: Truly, and I think you also see that with the Willem Dafoe detective character, who I think was. In addition, from the book, or that mm-hmm. character did not exist in the book. They added it for more tension. But I, I love that Defoe performance as well because it's mm. half the time it feels like he is trying to trick Patrick Bateman into getting him to reveal he did this, and half the time it feels like he's so enamored with this wealthy world and he's just using this as an ex- excuse to like go out to dinner with Patrick Bateman and like just hang out with him because he maybe he does think he's cool. And I like how. Willem Dafoe, like, he really plays both sides of that. And even to the end, I really don't know, like, quite what to make of what Detective Kimball is trying to achieve.
1: Do you know about the behind the scenes of Detective Kimball's performance? No. Oh, well, this is fun. To take a, to do our little... Give me some facts. Oh, here's our Willem Dafoe sidebar. So the reason uh, that you feel that way is that um, Heron and Dafoe set out to make it so they would always do at least one take where he was positive that bateman where he knew that bateman was guilty one take where he was completely convinced that bateman was innocent and one take where he was completely unsure and trying to like suss it out and then they would just stitch those shots together which is why brilliant it creates this really unsettling Un, you just don't know where you stand with him because there are certain shots where he seems so guileless and gullible and certain shots where you're like, he's tightening the noose around Patrick. And it's really effective. Um yeah. It's I mean, that's a weird thing to do because it feels kind of non-committal. That was my first reaction to that. But I think because it puts it through Bateman's point of view yeah. and uh and just creates this like this weird sense of doubt around it it's really interesting i have a total i have one other completely separate we're not even talking about the performance but a production mm-hmm. design thing did you notice something about like every time you're looking out a window the angles look weird no but I've, i
0: liked would like to hear more about this i've,
1: I've caught this in the past i would love maybe maybe people will f- listen to this podcast i truly don't know and yeah that's a question mark in Twitter, general <laughs> but i would love to have someone talk about my theory that, like, when the camera is low and looking out a window behind Patrick, the skyline you see is, like, what you would see if you were looking down. Mm. The perspective seems weird to It's like the buildings are tilted or almost. Anyway. I really like the
0: production design of his apartment. Like, the yeah. very stark black and white and I love the line when he he's killed Paul Allen and he goes into his apartment and he's like I'm gripped with complete fear his apartment is nicer than mine.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's 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 one of the great laugh-out-loud lines of the movie. Yeah, it's so good. Of panic rushes over me when I see that his windows face the park and it was obviously more expensive than mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it's so good. He's so good. I'm also just now realizing that this is a movie with a Batman a green goblin and a joker because obviously jared leto yeah. i think this is kind of famously you know a famous joke is like this is batman killing the joker in the mm-hmm. scene where where patrick Bateman kills paul allen but i'm just now realizing that the green goblin is like a third
1: yes he's just a, a an <laughs> wing extra, of that an extra power player in that in that super triangle um yeah. which i think that seems like a funny coincidence until you i think if you step back and look at our our cinematic landscape now, it's just more and more character actors will be gobbled up into superhero movies. And yeah, eventually that's
0: true. And then Justin Thoreau, who's like a big contributor to the Iron Man
1: franchise. Oh yeah.
0: This movie is just the impetus for
1: every cinematic universe. But it's just a it's just a that's just a law of probability thing. I mean, you pick any sort of medical drama and you're like, well, if it isn't the uh, the best friend from Doctor Strange, yeah. and, uh <laughs> this person from huh? Iron Man 3 and yeah, etc. Anyway, um yeah, the design of the movie is really really strong. And I, I I just love the when we think about the moment when he kills Paul Allen, it's that mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting example of like we get all the different modes of Patrick where we get his uh extremely weird jovial Kiwi Lewis monologue, mm-hmm. which it's it, it's funny I'm not I don't know, I don't have a theory to unpack the fact that the song he's talking about is hip to be square. Mm-hmm. And how that plays into, as you say, everyone in this is so... Square. Square, and the, everybody talks about... And the fact that they all, they think they're cool, they're always talking about Patrick Bateman as a dork when they're like, Bateman, such a spineless dork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see his, like, full-on rabbit rage. And then the way that that... It's such a weird moment. As soon as he's done, like... Chopping up the body and yelling at him, he like empties out in one yeah. shot. It's like the valve opens and there's like nothing there. He gets this weird, like, I think you get a you get an interesting exploration of the way that, um, you know, psychopathy. I've okay. I don't want to, I don't want to get something seriously wrong talking about cognitive science here, mm-hmm. but I'm at the risk of doing that. I'm going to put my foot forward Um, with some things that my partner, Emily has told me about this, uh, this idea that um, there is a, there's like a correlation between psychopaths having like a lower resting heart rate. And this theory that sometimes violent killers do that because it's the only way to kind of like experience heightened sensation. Mm. I feel like that theory is on display in this moment where, like, you see Bateman at his most keyed up yeah. in these moments of, like, intense violence, like that and the chainsaw. And in the, in the... After chopping up Jared Leto, it's like he builds to that high and then it immediately, like, crashes. goes limp. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a good segue to just sort of talking, you know, really digging into this performance, as is the... The goal of our podcast. Right. I think part of the reason I really wanted to start with this as our first Christian Bale performance is because to me, I think that he obviously has a very, re- a big reputation for being very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we mentioned the like the the tapes that leaked from the the Terminator Salvation set yelling that became sort of his reputation for a while or losing all the weight for the machinist, like just being a very intense in some ways, like no fun guy. Mm -hmm. which, you know, maybe there's an element of that that's true, I'm sure. But I think, to me, when I look at this performance, I'm like, this performance is not the performance of someone that takes himself so seriously that he can't step outside of himself. Like, this performance is so funny to, to me that I feel like that's some sort of insight into maybe Christian Bale does not take himself as seriously as his sort of reputation suggests. And I think that's sort of why... Like, in general, the, the sort of method actor world is not the world for me. It's mm-hmm. not, like, the type of performers I tend to gravitate to the most. But I don't know. To me, there's something about Christian that's, like, in a slightly different category. And it's because I think back, like... The, to th- I think he's so good at being Patrick Bateman that it feels like this is the only way this character could have been played mm-hmm. so it's almost easy to undervalue what a good performance it is because just in conception to come up with this like Tom Cruise style plaster on a smile but nothing behind the eyes complete dork but also terrifying like at- to come up with that whole thing is 90% of the performance and I don't know if most actors would have gone this way with it. So to me, this is, I always really, I feel like this is just like an ur text for christian bale as a performer and also my continual plea that i want him to do more comedies because i yeah. feel like he's so funny in this movie yeah and I'm, he's i want him to use this side of himself in in more roles
1: i think the scene the business card scene obviously made an impression for on me from the very first time it was one of the things that i recognized as funny even as a uh not quite ready to get it high school but i just watching it last night the and they underscore this with the music and the sound design and the massive like percussive like boom every time like a business card goes down. Yeah. But when he sees, uh, I think it's when they when he says, I, "I would like to see Paul Allen's card," and they show him mm-hmm. that, and he holds it and does the, he, he makes just, the, like drops it. He makes the acting choices of someone who is like. Like act- lost
0: their wife and child. Or yes, something. yes, yes.
1: It's like it's like the detective who suddenly realizes like the killer was there all the time. Yeah. As you say, the way he lets the business card kind of like slip through his fingers. <laughs> it's so with this, like, funny. Agonized look on his face. It's just the intensity of the satire uh, that he's doing there. Um just it, it I'm struck more every time. Um, and I think you're right that it it does betoken a certain level of self-awareness that he would have to have in order to do these sort of things.
0: Like to look that ridiculous on screen. yeah, it require like this is a movie that is entirely about sort of male vanity, but it's a very egoless performance. Even though there are ostensibly, you know, shots of him working out and looking good, it's like
1: oh, and you does just he are laughing at him. Shit. He does look
0: great, but but you are, you know, what I mean. Like yes. it, he's working out and doing these crunches, but he's listing twelve different products he's using for his skin, and these, you know, just the seriousness with which he does those monologues is hilarious to me. It is. I a, love the yeah. the deep. Just to wrap up the business card thing, what I really love about that scene is that. Paul Allen's card actually is the best. Like when you mm-hmm. look at it, you're like, oh yeah, his card looks better than the others. And I'm like, that's good filmmaking and good prop making that they were like, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous that this is happening. But also I get why they're annoyed that his is better than theirs because it actually is better than theirs.
1: Yeah. It's a very sort of naked performance from Christian Bale. Often, often, literally. Often, um, literally. And he has nothing to be self-conscious about physically, but, but it is... I, I wonder, and it's interesting how this fits in with that whole casting saga you talked about, I wonder, it just feels like uh, not everybody would be able to go to the self-effacing lengths of this. I mean, I know that it it delivers a certain intensity, and, um, and that is definitely something that's sought after in roles by this sort of crop of I don't know what generation they are, but like intense male method actors, mm-hmm. and, and I think we will continue to come across this idea since it's such a such a phenomenon in American cinema, and and uh, you know, to be fair, to Dan, the Lewis, European cinema, uh, yeah, uh, and in, Christian in Western of course, okay, in Western cinema, it's such a phenomenon. Um, I'm extremely given to uh, believe the theory of a. Th- Think piece that i read a few years ago which it would maybe i should find the author of that and credit them here but it was about how acting is seen by some as kind of like namby-pamby women's work and Mm -hmm. yet there is a uh sort of a culture of men actors whose response to that is to demonstrate that they can undergo intense physical pain and distress and crawl around in the mud and snow and lose 50 pounds or gain 50 pounds to show that acting is in fact hard and painful and therefore not um not an emasculating work so i think that christian bale may be sort of a part of that group and there may be some of that going on but um but i do tend to agree that this is a this is there's a lot of vulnerability in doing the sort of things that he does in this movie and as you say looking kind of as ridiculous as he does
0: which he often does i think you're spot on with the method acting as a way to make acting feel more important like i think i've even read interviews with him where he he's such a funny guy just in his personality cuz he'll be very he will be very dismissive like oh this is such a sh- silly job or whatever and i do think There is, and I think he had a period of his career where he was really, really into doing the fully intense like weight loss and weight gain and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And I I think, and we'll get into this over the course of this series, but like he did, I mean, he literally started acting when he was like 10 or 11, I think. So he has really only had this life of acting. Um, And I think sort of in response to maybe being typecast as sort of the sweeter boy next door roles for a little bit. He gets into this sort of really intense period that I actually think he's now starting to come out of with things like Vice. I guess Vice is another, you know, his performance is maybe not as overtly comedic as an American Psycho, but the film is also taking a very somewhat satirical look at Dick Cheney, or it has that, like, comedy lens to it. So I feel like Christian is sort of slightly returning to that. He's going to be in the new Thor movie next,
1: which I'm really
0: hoping Taika Waititi, like brings out again comedy bail but i think american psycho is kind of a turning point because this is sort of like the movie where he he is doing the serious like he obviously had a huge physical transformation for this movie like we kind of don't even read it that way because we're so used to men getting these insane muscles to do superhero movies now which Mm -hmm. honestly i feel like that's as crazy of a physical transformation as losing all the weight is like it cannot be good for your body to have muscles that are just designed to look good. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. that's not a normal
1: No, no, it's not organic. Thing for your body either. to do.
0: And yeah, it's not organic. And so I think this is kind of the start of him doing these big physical transformations that he becomes so famous for. But maybe this performance, like again, it doesn't have that self-seriousness to it, although it's also not winking at the material. Like it's such a tricky performance and it's just i mean it really is so funny like i could just spend this the rest of this podcast just like quoting lines from this movie that i love
1: uh-huh. one
0: thing is anytime he uses that i have to return some videotapes as an excuse <laughs> to leave my favorite is when the detective is questioning him he's like what were you doing you know whatever december 20th it's and then the night disappeared of the and he's like oh i was probably returning some videotapes <laughs> and that there's any world where that would be your go-to alibi <laughs> is so funny to me there's yeah. another moment where they we just cut into the middle of them uh, patrick and his friends like debating uh, you know having this like sort of hypothetical conversation about okay but what if the girl was ugly but she had a good personality mm-hmm. and there's one part where they all just in unison go like there are no girls with good personalities and then they high five and i'm like that's the sort of thing that i think mary heron really brought to this movie and that like a credit to all the actors are very clearly locked into like for as great as Christian is, I think really everybody in this movie is great. There's not yeah. A wrong performance in the bunch. Like everybody's so keyed into sort of what the tone mm-hmm. of this is, including Josh Lucas. I feel like this is just an incredible use of Josh Lucas. Oh, Josh
1: Lucas is great.
0: As like a smart and Justin Thoreau too. Like
1: yeah, they're great.
0: Just a great use of all of them.
1: What are you so fucking zany about today? <laughs>
0: um okay i'm trying to oh wait okay i thought of it now we've just reached the me listing parts of this movie i like the other thing that i will never not find hilarious is when the atm tells him feed me a stray (laughs) cat a cat
1: yeah and he's
0: like well that's what i have to do
1: that scene you kind of get his most i would say sort of like sympathetic perplexity in that scene Mm -hmm. like just like his the way he looks around in the world the way he looks at the gun in confusion, after he shoots the cop cars and they explode, which is such a funny beat, too. Such a funny beat, and the the bit where he is starts to run around. He does that. God, the 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 slapsticky bit where he's going out the revolving door, and he realizes the janitor's still inside. So he comes back through the revolving yep. door, shoots the janitor, and goes back out. Um, that scene, I feel like you have his. I don't know that that that's a moment where I feel like you do have almost a sympathetic perspective on him and his his choices are just this sort of like like innocent confusion yeah even when he's at his most violent uh and and just sort of looking at the world like how can this world be real and you're wondering that himself and then oh and then we get that his intense phone call what do you what do you think of that scene
0: Well, I have a fact about that scene, which is that they, Mary Heron, had Christian Bale do it like 15 or 20 times or something, because she thought it got more interesting the more like exhausted he was by it, Mm -hmm. which I think is a smart choice. Mm -hmm. To me, that, I have to say, that part of the movie, sort of once we get past the chainsaw scene, Mm -hmm. that's the part of the movie where. If anything, I'm like, hmm, is this becoming less interesting than I thought it was? Maybe it's because it feels like it's trying to be more sympathetic towards him. Um, and then to me, what saves it, or not saves it, I would just say that that's the part of the movie where I feel least connected, as much as I can be like, oh, this is an interesting performance. What What is more fascinating to me is when we loop around and he goes back to the restaurant and the lawyer he tried to confess to is sort of mm-hmm. writing it off as a joke. And, and once we get to the sort of button of the ending of he will never get caught for this that's when i'm like okay yeah this movie is actually genius but i can't say that the the phone call scene is sort of like something that sticks out in my mind as a as a high point
1: what about you i i agree i i think i also trace this back to the first time i watched it and i i was really less interested in that part because i think it's always disappointing uh because i at that point i started to think I think it's it's possible to read the movie as saying pretty clearly it was all a dream. He's yeah. always been hallucinating. And that's I think almost never a good plot point. Um but I do think it does a, it creates a great ambiguity where you it really could be taken either way. Um I think it just is a very weird his deliveries in that scene. I, it, it adds to my impression that this is one of our great weird performances. Yeah. Um but it definitely is kind of a, uh, you know, how people sometimes say the best acting awards are actually most acting awards. Mm-hmm. And they what, what people tend to critically reward is when somebody just does a lot of really big, wild choices. And I do think this is kind of a most acting film for Christian Bale. We get yeah, to see a lot sure. of different things from him and a lot of sort of classic oscar clip intensity in moments like this i like some of his weird line delivers in that yeah i like when he gets his his voice starts to do weird i just had to kill a lot of people
0: there's something where he's like i think i killed them like maybe 10 maybe 20 and it's like wow those are big numbers to be (laughs) it's maybe this or maybe that yeah um i also think too well it's kind of wild to me that this was not a performance that, like, garnered awards attention. Maybe the movie just felt too weird or too genre-y for that period. But this does feel like such a big showy, like, kind of performance you would award. But I, I don't, you know, I think he was praised in all, in most of the reviews, but it wasn't, like, in that way a big, you know, award season breakthrough f- or anything for him.
1: I suspect if he was more of a known entity at the time that maybe yeah. it would have been. Because I think these performances are easier to process and we could discuss some critical theory of why this is, but I think these kind of performances are easier to, they're more beloved if you actually have that sort of like, that thing that Mary Heron thought you would have with Leo, where you mm-hmm. knew all along that it was just your sweet Leo underneath there. Yeah, um, I do think that some, maybe people like to see the acting. I, I don't know. But also, also, anything labeled as horror is sort of traditionally overwhelmingly been boxed out from certainly the Oscars.
0: Yeah, that's Uh, very true. So maybe it was just sort of the wrong, the wrong time for it. But like I said, I think that this movie has really grown. And maybe it's like what you're saying, like now that people know Christian Bale's vibe in general, you can appreciate the sort of specific choices he's making in this. I also want to throw out there that the idea to moonwalk uh, with the Mm. axe he goes Ball, and that was Christian Bale's suggestion, mm-hmm. I think was an excellent one. Yes. And this maybe We can close out with this, but I mentioned this before, that this movie functions as a very specific satire of the 1980s, but I also think it functions as a satire of just masculinity in general, um, or at least a certain type of masculinity. I think... Maybe this is the wrong thing to say on the first episode of the film podcast, but <laughs> oh. the way in which... Um, Patrick Bateman is sort of like speaking in facts that are not necessarily even his own opinions, but he knows sounds impressive. Mm-hmm. I have seen elements of that in like the film <laughs> critic community, I would say. Probably a lot of communities I'm a part of. You know, there is a certain like it doesn't really matter if I believe this or even know what I'm saying. I know the right thing to say in this situation. And whether that's like pontificating on Huey News and the lose or the news or or his um You know, speech about the ACLU, and we need the this, and these are all the problems in the world. It's like he knows the right thing to say, Mm -hmm. but you can completely tell he doesn't believe these things. He's just like reciting them, and that totally leans into like the awkwardness of the performance that I like so much. Mm -hmm.
1: I think there's a clear, there's this idea that the like their community, this community of men and white men, is like. And rich white men. Rich white men is is and really like birth,
0: birth, born rich, right? Yeah. Like his dad theoretically owns the company, owns the so company he. And we we never see it. him do any work. He's just like reading magazines and listening to
1: music all Gets day. In and watches TV. Yeah, yeah. There's this idea that no nobody there has any genuine compassion. There are there are non-white people in the movie, but they are 100 percent servers and the homeless murder victim. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, servers, service people. Uh, massage therapists truly a a crazy week to to watch this movie and see the way that that, because this we're recording this it's uh today's march 20th and it was earlier this week that there was this uh violent murder spree in atlanta where Mm -hmm. a guy was specifically targeting massage parlors which uh you know appears to be motivated by racial hatred and 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 hatred of sex workers and that sort mm-hmm. of like and
0: sexism yeah and
1: and and here we see uh here we see a movie about a guy who like is going around and massacring mm-hmm. sex workers knowing that he can do this with complete impunity a movie yeah. from 20 years ago yeah um,
0: well and the thing I couldn't stop thinking about too, Particularly because Patrick Bateman is so enamored with Donald Trump and keeps talking about, like, is that Ivanka or the yes, Trump's here? Is it's that like, Trump's car. you know, Trump had that quote where he's like, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and not lose any voters. And it's like, this movie is sort of that idea, right? Like, like you're saying, Patrick Bateman knows who to pick as his victims. The only time he comes close to getting in trouble is when he kills Paul Allen, yeah. who's another, like, you know, rich, powerful white man. But like you said, we he can murder dozens of people that would be considered more on the margins, and the system is designed to
1: clean up completely
0: protect him Mm -hmm. and even it's fascinating to me the way the women in this movie i guess not not the sort of call girls and sex workers they sort of see through him more Mm -hmm. but there is a certain way where the women in his social class are like they keep saying sometimes they'll be like oh you're so sweet it's like they're the ones that are sort of socialized to like like him more than anyone else mm-hmm. like like chloe sevigny who i think is great in this movie as a oh, secretary yeah. or even reese witherspoon who's also great like there's there's like th- they're the ones that are like trained to sort of like give patrick bateman the benefit of the doubt every time and yeah. they are sort of as complicit in this system even as they are like i think the chloe sevigny is maybe probably or a hundred percent the most one of the most sympathetic characters yes. in the film. But yeah. she is not sympathetic because she's seeing the evilness of Patrick. It's because she is so taken in by it. And yeah. that becomes its own mix of her uplifting the system and also sort of being a victim of it. And But then she gets to live in a way that a lot of the other people in the movie don't, obviously. Yeah. Wild. There is much going on in this film. That's why I think this
1: film is great. Like yes. I said... I'm a
0: huge fan.
1: Um, 20 years later, we had our American Psycho president. I mean,
0: truly. I think this movie only gets, you know, it's a credit to the filmmaking and the performance that this movie, instead of feeling like it's a dated commentary on just one specific thing, it only feels more and more prescient and relevant the longer it goes on. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that this movie leaves Christian Bale in, like, a really interesting place in his career. But it sort of takes him a while to fully figure out how to capitalize on that, which we will eventually dig into our podcast. But next episode, we are going to zoom back in time and look at the early phase of his career. All the stuff we skipped over before. Get a sense of what he was, like, heading into American Psycho. Maybe try to figure out where Mary Heron got the idea for
1: mm-hmm.
0: casting him in this movie. Um, Specifically, we're going to be looking at his turn... As uh, Theodore Lawrence Laurie in 1994, the 1994 big screen adaptation of Little Women.
1: Yay! Although,
0: yay, love Little Women. And knowing me, there probably will be a good amount of Newsies chat in there. But really, we'll be talking it all, looking at where you got to start. We're going to go back to American young Christian. As our young Christian, which, again, this was the real, like, the- young Christian was the formative years for Caroline, for young Caroline. So it'll be fun to sort of revisit that now with more adult eyes um so that's all we have f- for next week thanks for listening this was our first episode it was fun to do yeah um hopefully you'll come back and listen to more little women fans out there i we're right re- we're ready we're prepared <laughs> we'll have all the context you need Roll Calling is produced by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter at Roll Calling and email us rollcalling at gmail.com. That's roll, R-O-L-E. Next week, we'll be back to chat all things Little Women. Until then.
1: Stay safe and get us a res. I'm not going anywhere unless we have a reservation.